Lord, uh, thanks for your participation in our lives, for bringing back or putting back darkness, bringing in the light of your truth. And as we look in your word this morning, I pray that you would bless us, help us to understand the things you mean for each one of us. Pray that the entrance of your word would be both light and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Slavery played a major role in American history, especially early American history. You know, though, its impact was so great that it still affects U.S. psyche and policy today. I don't want to talk about politics today, but I do want to talk about slavery. And put yourself, uh, if you can, in your mind's eye for just a moment in the shoes of an early American slave. And you or your, maybe your parents or your grandparents would have come from Africa on a slave ship over to the American shore. And, you know, it was not unusual for up to half of the human cargo on board these ships to die en route. That is, many of those early slaves never became slaves in America. They didn't get here. They died because of the overcrowded conditions on board these ships. It is, in fact, that death rate that was one of the primary reasons that slaving was outlawed in England was because of the loss of life on board the ships themselves. But you or your parents or grandparents would have got here and then you'd have entered life as a slave here in the colonies or in the early United States. And probably that would have meant that you were some type of field hand on a farm, probably tobacco or cotton would have been the primary crops. And, you know, once you got here and got to the farm, your life of slavery didn't necessarily improve. You could be separated any time from your parents if you were a child or from your child if you were a parent. You know, slaves were bought and sold. Families were torn apart. There was really not much thought related to that. And whatever life looked like in some sort of settled fashion for you, you'd work long days with little to eat, not much in the way of reward, but hopefully the avoidance of any whippings or lashings, and that was kind of your life. Uh, You might have physically borne manacles or chains at some point, maybe not. You know, runaway slaves were treated incredibly harshly so that if you sought your freedom through uh, running from your plantation or your master, the, the repercussions could be incredibly harsh also. So as a slave, your life would have been one probably of quiet or otherwise despair, hopelessness, a pretty bleak future, pretty bleak outlook. Into your bleak world, dark shadowy world of slavery, there does appear though this this beacon of light. And that is in the person of the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And I say that because under Lincoln's leadership, you know, during the Civil War, Lincoln, because of his power as the officer over the United States military forces, Lincoln was able in a time of war to enact a declaration of freedom for slaves in those states which were in rebellion against the Union. So Lincoln, September 22, 1862, made the Emancipation Proclamation. We've actually talked about this in the past. It reads in part that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state 
the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thenceforward and forever free. The Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln, with his authority to do so, freed the slaves in the rebellious states. It officially and legally ended slavery, though, of course, the implementation of that or the benefit would still be some time in coming. It still required a bloody war and a victory in that war before slaves could actually be freed. A year, a little over a year after the Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln made one of his probably most famous speeches, and it was on a battlefield at Gettysburg. It's memorable both because it's very brief, but it's very poignant, and it is arguably one of the most memorable and important speeches in U.S. history, the Gettysburg Address by President Lincoln. I'm going to read very briefly from it also. It's brief. You could read this in just a couple minutes if you want to. Lincoln said, Four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty, conceived in liberty, in freedom, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He stated what every American believed from the U.S. Constitution. He continued later, It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great, to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead, he's on a battlefield in which thousands and thousands of soldiers on both sides of the fight died. We take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The Gettysburg Address, a new birth of freedom. President Lincoln was the great emancipator. He legally, and in the, the world of his day, he brought about freedom to slaves. It was at a bloody cost, a bloody civil, civil war, which by our standards of warfare today, the numbers in the Civil War, the loss was so great, I'm not sure that our nation would endure such losses today. But it was through a legal process. He had the authority to declare freedom. He had the authority to wage war. And after a bloody, bloody war, he brought about freedom to the slaves in the southern states. The Emancipation Proclamation and the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln's, in a sense, great gift to the United States. One hundred years after the Gettysburg Address, another famous speech was made on August 28, 1963. This was interestingly made in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial. And the author of this speech tied intentionally his words to Lincoln's, both the Emancipation Proclamation and the Gettysburg Address. Martin Luther King addressed over 200,000 people. If you've never seen this, you can go online and see this. You can go online and listen to this. And this is arguably one of the great speeches in U.S. history also, because like Lincoln's, it was both brief, but it was poignant. When Martin Luther King got up to give the speech, people weren't sure what he was going to say. You remember, this is the protest movement, and these are people who have been jailed in the South, etc. And his speech wasn't the combative speech that most people thought he would give, but it called America back to this dream that Abraham Lincoln had articulated a hundred years earlier. Let me read briefly from Martin Luther King's speech. Again, it is very short. You can read this online also. He said, Five score years ago, a great American, in whose symbolic shadow we stand today, signed 
the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself an exile in his own land. Both of these speeches, Lincoln's in Gettysburg, Martin Luther King's in Washington, D.C., sought real legal and practical freedom for people who were not free. That was the goal, to free those who were not free. Lincoln and King both sought a practical freedom that would affect the lives of many people whom they had something in common with. They were United States citizens. As we saw last week, and as King makes reference to here, though, sometimes the shackles of slavery are not physical chains. If you remember last week, we talked about Ebenezer Scrooge and the ghost of Jacob Marley, shackled way down with these heavy chains and weights. And he said Scrooge's were heavier and weightier than his own. And we talked about the fact that, as Jesus will say in the passage we're in this morning in John 8, that everyone who sins is the slave of sin. That to the degree that I serve sin, I am enslaved. So that all slavery doesn't necessarily look the way the early American slaves had it, that is, physically or with chains that you can see. But anyone who sins, Jesus said, is the slave of sin. We defined freedom last week as freedom from the control of some other person or arbitrary power, and it was the ability to act or think without compulsion or restriction. We said that freedom was basically the ability to live life as you chose, as you freely chose, not under compulsion. And then, if you were here last week, I hope you did the homework, which was simply this, just to do a little personal inventory and ask yourself the question, in what areas of my life am I not free? In what areas of my life am I not the person in Christ God has meant me to be? In what areas of my life do I wear these shackles or these chains or carry these weights because I am under the slavery or the tyranny or the bondage of sin in my life? If you did that last week, Think about those things as we look through John 8, verses 31 through 36. If you didn't, ask yourself the question as we go through this passage, very brief passage, what would freedom look like in my life? What would freedom look like in my life? If I said my life does not measure up to the standards I think God meant me to make, if I'm not free in all the ways I would like to be, what does that look like and what would freedom look like? not to be overly dramatic, but I think this passage in John 8, 31 through 36, is perhaps for Christians one of the most important passages in all the New Testament because it addresses the concept of freedom in this lifetime. 
If you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you've believed in Jesus and your sins are paid for and you're going to heaven, you're free from the penalty of sin. Your future, your eternity is assured and guaranteed. You're good to go. No small thing. That's the most important thing. But related to the life you live on this planet, John 8, 31 through 36, is arguably one of the most important passages you can read because it talks about being free from the power and influence of sin which keeps you a slave during your days on earth. John 8, 31 through 36. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says that the cure for slavery or bondage, whatever that looks like in your life, is the truth. The cure for bondage is truth. The cure for your servitude to slavery in any area of your life is truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Jesus says, do you want to be free? Your deliverance lies in knowing what is true. Truth in the Greek, this is an interesting term. You know, when we say truth, we think of a positive. True. It's the, it's the, it relates to reality, the way something really is. The Greek here, aletheia, means not concealed. Truth in the Greek term used here is not concealed or not hidden. It defines a positive sort of by a negative. And the implication is this. It's not concealed, so you see it the way it really is. It's reality. Truth is reality. Truth is the way things really are, not necessarily the way you think they are. This is interesting, and particularly, I think, because of this. You and I live in a world ruled by a liar and the father of lies. And the setting in which our lives play out is one in which the world, the flesh, and the devil conspire to deceive us and to trick us, and to make us believe things are as they really are not. So when Jesus says you'll know the truth, he says you'll know the way things really are, not the way someone pretends they are, not the way someone lies to you about, not even the way you lie to yourself about. Jesus says the truth is what will set you free, and the truth is knowing the way things really are. Something is not hidden. Something is not concealed. So Jesus says, do you want to be free? Get the truth, because understanding life the way it really is, that will make you free. The question becomes, great, then where do I get this liberating truth? Where does this truth that brings deliverance, where does that come from? 
verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, you are really my followers, my pupils, my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Where do you get this truth? Jesus says, you get it in my word. He says, if you continue in my word, the thought of continue, it means to remain. If you remain in my word, and the thought here is something like this, it's where you hang out, it's where you live, it's where you make your home. It's where you make your home. Jesus says, if you'll remain, if you'll make your home in my word, you'll really be my followers, that's what my followers do. And as you live in my word, you'll know what's true. And that's how you'll gain your freedom. Live in my word, you'll know what's true, and you'll be free. So Jesus says to the person who says, how do I get free? He says, come live in my word, you'll recognize what's true. And it's in knowing the truth that you'll be free to see things the way they really are, and to come out from underneath the bondage of your own sinful impulses. The truth will set you free. Encouraging others to read their Bibles is probably my key hobby horse. I probably talk about this more than any single thing. But in the light or in the context of John 8, you can see why this is so important. Think about this. To the degree that we see things ourselves, temptations, the people around us, as they really are, as they really are, we're free. Or because we live life in this world of shadows and half-truths and deceptions, it's only to the degree that we hold up this lens of God's Word that we see things in focus the way they really are and therefore get our freedom. Or it's only to the degree that we know and embrace the truth of God's word that to that degree we experience freedom. In fact, you could say this the reverse fashion. You could say this, if you don't live in God's word, you will not, you cannot know the truth, and you will not be free. If you don't live in God's word, you cannot be free. That is, in a world of slavery to sin, if you don't live in the truth, you don't get freedom. So just ask yourself for just a moment, what does slavery in my life look like? What does bondage in my life look like? And what would freedom look like? I guarantee there are elements in the scriptures in God's word that speak the truth about whatever area in your life you can think of. And that when you read and comprehend and come into the benefit of, you'll get liberty or freedom in whatever that is. You know, every time you and I obey some impulse to sin, we do so because we believe there's a positive benefit to gain. And there is arguably some short-term pleasure. Hebrews talks about this. But you never get what you thought you were getting. And just as Satan deceived Eve about the apple... Hey, you'll get life, you'll be like God, and you'll gain wisdom. Well, it was a half-truth. She did gain wisdom. She did become like God, but only in a negative sense, because now she's evil. She knows the difference between evil and good because she chose evil. And she got death. 
So there was truth in his statement in the temptation, but he didn't tell her the rest. Well, when you and I obey those sinful impulses, we do it just like Eve. We think we're getting something free, but we're not. Well, Jesus says, if you see things the way they really are, then you understand it's a lie. You know, if I saw someone poison the food I'm about to eat, and then they bring it up to me and they say, here, Mike, enjoy this food. I'd say, well, no thanks. Even though it might smell good and it might look appealing or appetizing, I would know you poisoned my food. I would be stupid to eat it. Why would I do that? But when we obey our own sinful impulses, it's exactly what we're doing. And it's because we don't see things the way they really are. We believe the half-truth with the lie, and so we sin, and we get death and slavery. Jesus says, if you'll live in my word, you'll understand the way things really are. You'll get it. The half-truths will be revealed. The shadows will be dispelled. You'll see things the way they really are, and you won't fall prey to these temptations. Your shackles will drop off, and you'll walk free. If you don't live in God's word, though, you won't know what's true, and you won't be free. Can't be otherwise. Jesus also says in verse 36 that it is he, the Son, who will make us free. If the Son, therefore, makes you free, you'll be really free, really free. I think he says this for a couple reasons. One is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Like Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation, the Son can do as he pleases. He has the authority, moral and he has the power to do anything he wants. So like Lincoln, Jesus can say, I set you free, and that's a legal, authoritative certainty. But I think in this context, it's not because he has the authority to make free. I think it's because Jesus says that he's the truth. Right? In John 14, 6, you remember Jesus' famous words to his disciples? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So Jesus says, if truth makes you free, he says, and the Son makes you free, come to the Son, you'll gain freedom. It's because Jesus is the truth. If you follow Jesus, you find truth. It can't be otherwise. He is in his nature. He is in his person, in who he is and what he does. He is the embodiment of truth. And when you walk with Him, you find the truth. Couldn't be otherwise. So Jesus says, the Son will make you free because the more fully you get to know Him, who He is, what He's like, what He does, you're learning the truth all along. Because Jesus in Himself is the truth. So Jesus says, do you want to be free? He says, basically, this is the deal. Follow me, live in my words, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus' mission on earth, he came as the great emancipator. He came to set captives free. And I love this. Do you remember how he starts his mission, his public mission in Luke's gospel? He goes to that little synagogue in that little out-of-the-way town of Nazareth up in Galilee. 
and he stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath and they hand him the scroll and Isaiah is open and he reads this messianic promise. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives. This is the original proclamation, emancipation proclamation. Jesus says, I was sent to proclaim release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. People will see things the way they really are and to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus says when he comes into the world and he begins his public ministry, he says, I am the great emancipator. I have come to set captives free. Last week we talked about the fact that freedom isn't appealing unless you feel some sense of your own enslavement, right? If you don't think there's any chains, the appeal or the the opportunity for freedom doesn't carry much weight. If you say to someone, I'll free you, and they say, well, gosh, we're not enslaved. That's what Jesus' audience says. We don't get it. Free from what? That's why we talked about doing an inventory in life and asking yourself the question, am I the person I was meant to be? Am I the person Christ made me to be? Am I free in every area of my life? Or are there areas where I'm I'm still laboring under the weight of my own bondage and my own sin? That becomes the issue. You and I have to have some sense of the slavery so that the offer has some appeal. Jesus is the great liberator, but if you don't think you need a liberator, there's not much of an appeal. Do you remember we read Paul's description of his own bondage when he said, those things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And so he cries out in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Who will break my chains? Who will deliver me from the weight of my own sin? We didn't read this last week, but the next verse says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul found the answer. Paul followed the Son. He lived in the truth. He got the truth and he got his freedom. And we have to have some sense of that same anguish and cry and weight of our own burden so that we cry out with Paul. Who will set me free? I want to read uh, briefly from uh, some words of Frederick Douglass. If you remember, Frederick Douglass was a black slave born before the Civil War, born a slave, lived in slavery up until the time almost he was 20 years old. Frederick Douglass gained his freedom in stages. He actually escaped the South with some help and began uh, speaking against slavery in the north. He actually traveled to Europe doing the same thing. He was still, though, in fact, legally, he was a slave during this whole period. It wasn't until later that some patrons in England paid his master off that he actually legally became a free man. Frederick Douglass was one of the great writers and orators of the Civil War period, but he was born in chains, and he lived the front end of his life, about a third of his life, in slavery. And listen to what he says. He says, Our house stood within a few rods of the Chesapeake Bay, whose broad bosom was ever white with sails from every quarter of the habitable globe. By the way, he was hired out to a shipwright to be the person who caulked the ships. He put in the stuff that would keep the ships on the bay in the water from leaking. 
He says, those beautiful vessels robed in white and so delightful to the eyes of free men were to me so many shrouded ghosts to terrify and torment me with thoughts of my wretched condition. I have often in the deep stillness of a summer Sabbath stood all alone upon the banks of that noble bay and traced with saddened heart and tearful eye the countless numbers of sails moving off to the mighty ocean. The sight of these always affected me powerfully, My thoughts would compel utterance, and there with no audience but the Almighty, I would pour out my soul's complaint in my rude way with an apostrophe or a pause, a hesitation to the multitude of ships. And this is what he prayed or said, thinking about those ships on the bay and their freedom. You are loosed from your moorings and free. I am fast in my chains and am a slave. You move merrily before the gentle gale, and I sadly before the bloody whip. You are freedom's swift-winged angels that fly around the world. I am confined in bonds of iron. Oh, that I were free. Oh, that I were one of your gallant decks and under your protecting wing. Alas, between me and you the turbid waters roll. Go on, go on. Oh, that I could go on. Could I but swim if I could fly? Oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hell of unending slavery. O God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear. I'll try it. I had as well die with consumption as with fever. I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running as die standing, only think of it, 100 miles north, and I am free. Try it? Yes, God helping me, I will. It cannot be that I shall live and die a slave. I will take to the water. This very bay shall yet bear me into freedom. I would argue that it's not unless you feel the weight of Paul in Romans 7 or Frederick Douglass here that Jesus' offer of deliverance makes any sense. Frederick Douglass wanted release from real bondage to slavery. Frederick Douglass looked out over the bay and he saw those white-sailed ships. And to him, they were a picture of freedom. When you picture freedom in your life, what does it look like? What would those white sails look like to you? You and I have, in fact, the great emancipator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the liberator who came from heaven to free slaves like you and me. The question then becomes, do we want to be free? Do we want to be free? If we do, Jesus says this, come to me. Follow me. Following him means Living in the truth, that means living in His Word, living in the Bible. Read your Bible. Jesus says, you want to be free, follow me. Live in my Word, make that your home. Then you'll know what's true, and then you'll be free. Then you'll be free. I want to close with the words from Martin Luther King's speech. It's a great speech, you need to read it for yourself. But he closes with these words, and I'm parsing as I go. He says, let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. 
And when this happens, when freedom rings, we will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Let's pray. Lord, help us to recognize and to give to you those areas in our lives which we are in slavery and bondage and chains. Father, I pray that we would take the time to do the inventory and look at our lives and see those areas where we are not the people you've created us to be, where we fall short, Lord, where the truth does not shine its light. Father, help us to bring to you those areas of untruth, those areas of darkness, and simply confess them and give them and leave them with you. Thanks that the penalty of sin has been perfectly covered at the bloody cost of your Son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. And Lord, help us to value Jesus' offer, to come to the Son to gain truth and freedom. And Lord, help us to make it our aim to live in your words of truth. Help us to honor you. Help us to seek the Son to live in your word and living there to find peace, to find freedom, to become the people in Christ you meant us to be. Lord, I pray that each one of us here becomes that city on a hill, that light that cannot be hidden. I pray that we are testaments that God sent a Savior into the world, that the emancipator, that the liberator has come, that his name is Jesus and that he really does bring freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.